Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. The Peace Corps uses the tagline, the toughest job you'll ever love. No disrespect intended towards the Peace Corps, but I think caregiver to a loved one takes first prize in this category. The stress of taking on the care of a loved one can be overwhelming. My guest today knows this firsthand. On this episode of Sound Practice, we will discuss caregivers and the resources available to them with a national expert. Let's begin. My guest today is Jennifer O'Brien. Jen has years of experience as a healthcare executor. She is author of the Hospice Doctor's Widow, a journal. I am pleased to welcome Jennifer O'Brien back to Sound Practice. Thanks, Mike. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's my pleasure to, uh, to talk with you. Now, Jen, I'm excited to talk with you. The last time you were on Sound Practice, we were discussing your book, The Hospice Doctor's Widow, a journal. And that book won a lot of awards and certainly uh, great critical praise. So for our audience that maybe is unfamiliar with the book, they should definitely check that out. And I highly uh, recommend it. But today we're we're discussing a new project that you have. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Caregiver as CEO? Absolutely. That would be my pleasure. As you may know, um, much of my 35-year career in healthcare has been spent um, interim CEOing in very large um, physician practices and um, other organizations. And we don't always call it a CEO in other organizations, but you know, administrative leadership. And it's usually interim, um, meaning two to four years, depending on what's what situation the organization is in. And you know, that's just my way. That's what I do, kind of turn the battleship get it on the right track, and then hire my replacement and, and move along to the next project. And so, um, so those elements of leadership and imparting leadership on physicians has been a, a big part of my career. Well, then I, by, purely by accident, end up shifting gears to this, this book and, and this, this notion of helping family caregivers and helping with, helping people to plan and prepare for end of life. And um, so as I'm deep into that, um, I, I meet a young woman, her name is Lucinda Coza, and she has founded very recently um, a very large organization of millennial and Gen Z family caregivers. Um, and th- this is actually a very large part of the family caregiver population. We don't we don't tend to think of it that way, but it is it is a good chunk of it. And she, in taking care of her own mother, realized how lonely it was and kind of put together this network um, of, of young caregivers. And at one point when she was posting a message to them, she said, remember, think of yourself as the CEO of the situation. And that really struck me. I, I kind of couldn't stop thinking about it for a variety of reasons. I saw a lot of correlations between family care, the role of family caregiver and the role of CEO of an organization. Um, But I started to realize that her target population 
because they're so young, probably has very little experience being a CEO. And so I wrote to her and I said, you know, I think you're on to something. Um, I've actually spent a good deal of my career doing that job. And I, I would like to uh, explore that topic, family caregiver as CEO. And she encouraged me to do it. Um, and I did. And, um, and I spent a lot of time on it. Um, it, it, is, it is remarkable, the correlations. Um, I, I created sort of a five sub subcategories, um, strategy and planning, team and resources, um, data and analysis, um, environmental services and facilities, and then finally self-management. And it's really self-management, not necessarily self-care. And, and I explore that um, in a good amount of depth. Any CEO or leader will tell you it's not as simple as self-care when you're a leader. It's, it's a truly a self-management situation. Anyway, um, as I was creating this, these posts, these educational posts, I sent, I sent a draft to her and she was just like, wow, this is going to be incredibly helpful. It had, we, we started it, we started the posts with strategy and planning a little over a week ago and the reception has been remarkable. I mean, people are loving it um, and learning from it and feeling more, um, more empowered and 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 feel like they're understood even even more the the correlations are remarkable one of the things we start with is you know mission and vision um and mission is sort of what you do right you take care of someone who you you provide shelter and nourishment and care for someone and then vision is, you know, what you're aspiring to, what you're headed toward. And in, in, it, in an organization that can differ from one organization to another. But the interesting thing in family caregiving is that it is pretty much the same vision um, for, for every family caregiver. And that is we continue the mission, right? And then at some point we are, we are going to transition ourselves from, we, we want a peaceful and dignified end of life for our care recipient. We ourselves will transition from caregiver to griever, and we'd like that to be a smooth transition. And then further down the road, we have our future self, right? That needs to have um, a mentally and emotionally healthy retrospective and prospective to be able to go on. And this is especially important as you can, well, it's important for every family caregiver, but you know, I think a lot about for those younger family caregivers. I mean, I was 49 when my late husband became ill and I spent, you know, almost two years taking care of him and then another couple of years in sort of, you know, acute, well, not acute, but an, another period of time in, in profound grief um, to, to have had to do that in my twenties, in my, even my early thirties before my career even really got off the ground, um, would have been incredibly challenging. So I, I think it's, it's been one thing that, you know, I, I just feel like, um, like I'm helping some younger folks, 
understand things a little bit better and look out to their future selves that this doesn't go on forever. You know, it may go on a long time and it is very, very hard work. Um, I, I have a, 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 you know, I use a lot of quotes in these, in these posts and one of them is my own. And it says, you know, CEO is, um, is a difficult and weighty position and family caregiver is a more difficult and more weighty. Like it, it, it just is. I, I, I done that job. I've done the CEO job several times and I can tell you family caregiving is harder and it is, and it is weightier. So anyway, so that's, that's been sort of the launch. The next section we get to is um, team and resources. And I'm really excited about that one as well. Well, there, there's certainly a lot of people out there that could use your assistance. The numbers are, are shockingly large of uncompensated caregivers in the U.S. Can you tell us a little bit? Yeah. So every five years, the AARP and the National Alliance for Caregiving um, does a survey. Um, and the most recent one came out in May of 2020. And the survey results report, and it showed 53 million um, family or uncompensated caregivers. And this is this is defined as people who took care of an adult, spent time um, uh, helping them, uh, you know, with with just basic daily needs, helping them get to appointments. Um, sometime in the last 12 months. It is not people taking care of children, right? So this is just caregivers of adults. Um, and the number is 53 million. And that was up 9 million from the five years prior. And remember that report came out in May, 2020, which means that was basically pre-pandemic data. Um, and so we have to imagine that that number pretty much blew up, um, you know, got got much larger um, as soon as the pandemic started. And we have some other some other reports that that show that indeed the number has increased since the pandemic started, and that the intensity of the caregiving has has grown, um, you know, because because it's a it's a completely different ball game when you right when you can't go to the grocery store for someone when you you know that sort of thing so yeah wow. the numbers are huge and there are also some large numbers is is to time involved for taking care of um a, a family a family member and i'm i'm interested not only as to if you could put a hours of of a week or, or day on it, um, but also your thoughts on how medicine has lengthened the process of caregiving. I think that in some way, medicine's uh, improvement in medicine has lengthened people's lives. And, uh, and, and you, you tell me, but it seems to me that caregiving um, 50 or 60 years ago might have been shorter duration than caregiving today. Oh, absolutely. Um, there's a, there's a, um, 
I think he's an intensivist in Australia named Peter Saul, a physician who says increasing longevity means more old age, not more youth. I mean, and I think that's something that we forget, you know, that um, live longer, live longer, but live longer is not going back to our 25 year old bodies and, you know, playing a couple of tennis matches in an afternoon. Um, (laughs) Well, true. We might not want to sit next to uh, Dr. Saul at the next cocktail party. <laughs> oh come on i will i will happily sit next uh, to Dr. Saul I, I could be missing out i'm sure he's a, a brilliant gentleman but that but that is absolutely true um uh i think that the duration has get, gotten longer i think there's a really neat facebook group called slow medicine which um which helps folks look at being a little bit more deliberate about choices um in whether they you know at age 82 um whether they really want to have that hernia surgery that really may not be entirely necessary and could you know could send things south uh for for the person and and um end up you know things not going so well so so yes there with this increased longevity, I think comes some responsibility for being just very deliberate about um, how we want to live um, and how we want to prepare and must prepare for end of life. Um, But you're right. And when you bring up the amount of time spent, um, that same AARP NAC report um, showed that if you lived with your care recipient Um, you were spending on average 37.4 hours a week uh, caregiving. So so if you live with your care recipient, if you have a husband who is unwell or a mother or father who lives with you and you have a job, right? You go out to work every morning. You do a second full-time job um, each week taking care of your person. Um, So And again, I have to imagine that those hours, those numbers only went up when the pandemic started, right? Because things just became that much more intense in terms of of getting things, you know, taking care of someone in a different environment where you, you know, couldn't just run to the doctor or couldn't just run to the ER. Um, so yeah, the, there and, and if you don't live with your care recipient, I believe you're spending over 15.15 hours a week, which is getting close to a part-time, uh, you know, job. Because um, a part-time job is defined at about 20 hours a week usually. So, so there, uh, there, there, it's intense, intense work. Um, there's no question about it. I try to help physicians understand it, uh, understand what it's like to be a family caregiver by taking them through this sort of model. So doctors need to close your eyes and go back to PGY-1, whether you're a surgeon or internist, go back to PGY-1 when you had to take in-house call and you went back to that call room after serving goodness knows how many and you finally closed your eyes and sure enough, this instant you did, the beeper went off and you started to think, you know, was there a camera in the on-call room, right? That started to like, that that wouldn't let you get a, a moment's sleep. And so you went off. So it's that same fatigue and anxiety only. The family caregiver doesn't have four years of medical education. 
The family caregiver um, doesn't have um, upper, upper residence, senior residence to catch errors. Um, the family caregiver is taking care of one patient and that one patient, they cannot imagine anything happening to. So like the, the pressure is, is that PGY1 and there's no 80 hour work week, my friends. Um, it is a 24 seven, 365. Often you are lying in bed next to your person who needs your care. Um, yeah, 24 seven. So uh, it, is a, it is a very intense job and the family caregiver um, you know, frequent is sort of is frequently called the invisible second patient. Um, they just they, there's just no no recognition there. Everybody's pretty focused on the patient, which is understandable, but um, nevertheless problematic. It seems that oftentimes caregiving discussions lead into end of life planning and 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 preparation, which is certainly a scary topic for many caregivers. Can you suggest some resources for folks out there? Uh, sure. I mean, honestly, this is going to sound, this might sound a little self-serving, but it's not. Um, I, I get that question a lot. Um, I started getting that question a lot when, um, when I, when the book came out, you know, okay, so you keep talking about how we need to prepare, how do we prepare? And so I created um, a free downloadable from, you can download it from my website. Um, it's called the At Peace Toolkit, a guide to being at peace with end of life. And you just download it. I'm, I'm an old gal, so I recommend printing it, printing it out. Um, some people don't want to print it out, but uh, whatever, just it's a three-step process. Um, one is uh, loading your, your, your emergency contact information onto your cell phone and making it accessible when the phone is locked, um, which most people don't even know that that feature exists. And I can tell you, while you, the physician, might not be in the ER looking at someone's cell phone, a social worker or a staff member in a case of trauma most definitely is. Um, and when they can't get to that information, when the information is not loaded or, or they can't get to it because the phone locks, you know, that's, that's, a, that's another another obstacle to care. Um, so that step actually could, could save your life. Um, and the next step that it takes you through is, um, is assigning a healthcare proxy and what's involved with that and a backup proxy. And, um, and then the third is probably the mo most robust step in the thing. And that is just a, a comprehensive sort of checklist of all of the items that go into what I fondly refer to as the death dossier or the croak folder or however you want to put it, but it's, it's putting all your stuff in one spot because um, obviously, you know, we're all going to die. That that's a, that's a certainty. Um, if you, if it happens via trauma, it is nice to have to know where that stuff is and to have it. If it happens you know, over the course of an illness, um, I can tell you as someone who has been through it more than once, um, the transition from caregiver to griever, even in the best circumstances, my, my, both my mother and my husband and I prepared very thoroughly for that transition for me, 
your mind still doesn't work right when, when you finally lose your person. And so having that stuff all accessible. And then there is another item in that toolkit, which is a page called conversation starters, because I also would frequently get the question, how do I bring this up to my mother? How do I bring this up to my spouse? Um, and so it's just a bunch of ideas of, you know, how to have those, how to start those conversations. And I'll tell you, it's not one conversation. It's a series. It's a, it's a series of conversation and it's intimate. It is getting to know somebody so well that you know, you know, what they want both in life and in death. Um, and, and it's, and it's beautiful. It really is a beautiful part of, um, of a relationship for sure. We have to give us your website address. How do people find this information? Hospicedoctorswidow.com is my, and you can either spell out doctor or you can DRS it, but it's hospicedoctorswidow.com. And on the resources page at the top is where you just click the button and get the, um, the free download. Great. Well, and you were somewhat alluding to, to my next, my next question, certainly you know, heavy lies the, the head that wears the crown, right? Uh, we're, we're told by, by Shakespeare and Henry the fourth, but I found that the weight was still pretty heavy once, um, I was no longer a caregiver. Uh, can you talk a little bit about post caregiving? Sure. Um, you know, most of the time post caregiving equals grieving. I mean, 99 point some permit, you know, percent of the time, um, and, uh, perhaps a hundred percent of the time. And so, yes, that, that transition is just so difficult. Um, I, cause grief is huge, even with, even with the best of circumstances, um, grief is huge. And so when you, when you overlay a lack of preparation, um, uh, that's just, that's just exceptionally sad. I, I, I know this because I'm in a couple of widows groups. Um, as you can imagine, there are groups for widows and widowers and both. Um, and I'm in a couple of them and, you know, not a week goes by that, that someone doesn't join the group and share, the fact that their spouse, usually the husband, um, died without a will, and um, and it is heartbreaking to me because these people, these again, largely women, have lost this person that they absolutely love, and on top of that, I mean that that is devastating to begin with, but on top of that, because they did zero preparation and there's no will, they're getting booted off the credit card, they're getting booted off the utilities, anything that was in any property or anything that was involved is going to probate. I mean, these folks are being left with less than nothing. They've already lost the most important person in the world to them, and then just completely devastated. And the thing financially, if not devastated financially, in the long term, certainly in the short term. I mean, people are not able, 
you know, like I said, they've got to reapply for credit cards and so forth. It um, and and I think the thing that upsets me the most about that is it simply doesn't have to be that way. I mean, this is the one thing that happens to all of us, right? We we don't all have babies. We don't all get married. We don't all go to college. But every single one of us at the end of our lives dies. I mean, period. And four out of five of us will do it after an illness and, and where we'll actually have that opportunity to transition from caregiver to griever, um, you know, and, and have a chance to see it coming um, and, and to talk about it. Um, so yeah, that, that can be a, it's a difficult, it's a difficult transition, period. It can be an excruciating transition if there's no preparation. Absolutely. Words to the wise. Um, when we started talking, you were mentioning millennials and generation X um, Z. members. Z. D, D, Z. Yes, uh, I'm generation I'm a, X. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me raise my hand too. That's right. Um, <clears throat> do you find generational differences in caregivers' ex experiences and stresses? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I I am certain there are just by virtue of like what I told you in terms of how I came about the idea for caregiver as CEO, realizing that these folks don't have some of the life experience yet that that really helped me in a caregiver role. Um, um, and so that's for that's for certain. Um, they tend in again, these are these are gross generalizations, which are always sure. risky, but um, they tend to look, you know, to the device for for guidance and support, which, you know, honestly, I can tell you there are buku resources available. Even, you know, Bob died, my late husband died five years ago. Even in those five years, there are so many awesome resources available now. So, and, and I think some of them are available because of millennial and Gen Z caregivers who said, whoa, I, in fact, I know they are. Um, I've met a couple of, of millennial and Gen Z caregivers who have just said, you know, once their grandmother or whoever died kind of said, that was crazy. There's a better, there's gotta be a better way and came up with it. You know, whether it was, there's a, um, there's a medication uh, dispensary system for the home now called hero. Like seriously, I used to write down when Bob got so sick that he wasn't able to manage his own medication. You know, I wrote it down. I set my timer on my phone. This is a system that basically takes that thought out of it and puts some security into it, right? There, there's just all kinds of resources, and and I, in many cases, credit that those those gener those younger generations with saying there's there's just got to be a better way because because there does there is a better way, um, yeah. So yes, I think there are there are some some differences. If people would like to know more about this topic, certainly I strongly recommend the book The Hospice. A doctor's a widow. Then, as we, as we wrap up our our time together, how else can people learn from you and find out about caregiver as CEO? 
Well, caregiver as CEO is an easy one. Um, just follow me on Instagram. I am at hospice doctor's widow. And in that case, the word doctor is spelled out. Um, but that's, I mean, and I'm on LinkedIn too, but because my name is Jennifer O'Brien, which is a super common name, it's harder to find me um, other places, but, but on Instagram, I'm easier to find. So, um, so that is the place and, and, you know, uh, sooner the better, because like I said, it, it's probably a um, five, six week um, once a day post educational program. So um so get on board sooner rather than later and take a look at it. Um, I don't I don't know what's going to happen with it. I have been I have been guided that it would probably make another good book or um, or the start of a good book, and I can't say I disagree with that. So um, so who knows that that may that may be in the future, but there's there's no. Um, and I would also send people to my website um, because I have, again, on the resources page, in addition to the at peace toolkit, I have a lot of resources listed. And, you know, honestly, there's a contact me uh, page on the website. I have yet to not respond to somebody. Um, I get, you know, as you can imagine, this morning, I got a text from someone, um, ha happens to be someone who knows my phone number, but you know, when, when this stuff goes sideways, when mom needs to be admitted to hospice, when, when stuff happens, you know, people need, need help. And um, those of us who are not in the throes of, us, of it and know some of the resources can at least point people in the right direction. So, um, so yeah, those are, and, you know, ha following the hashtag um, family caregiver or family caregiving is, is a great way to, to learn more. Oh, and one other thing, there is a website called archangel.me and on archangel.me, I think it's archangel.me. Anyway, it's archangels is the organization. They have a caregiver intensity um, assessment tool. It's kind of like a Cosmo quiz, right? You answer a series <laughs> of questions and then it gives you a score that tells you, wow, yeah, you're in a very intense family caregiver situation or, you know, you're in a moderately intense family care. And, and I think there's some, some, you know, again, back to the caregiver as CEO, right? CEOs hire consultants, and other advisors to give them an objective perspective on something. And that's what a tool like this does. It, it, it is either validating, hey, yeah, you, are, you have every reason to be off the charts stressed out, or it is saying, you know, things are pretty cool and you have, you, you have a little time to get some stuff together because they're probably not gonna stay smooth and cool forever. Tremendous uh, resources and great thoughts. Jennifer O'Brien, thank you so much for being on Sound Practice. And um, I look forward to the next time we talk about potentially your new book. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> thanks, Mike. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it. My thanks to Jennifer O'Brien for her time and insights. Her book, The Hospice Doctor's Widow, is award-winning. I highly recommend it to you. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice, 
we release a new episode every other Wednesday. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Had his holy cow, but man Robin went from Kapow.